It's the flashback sale at Mattress Firm. We're celebrating the year we were founded with a special price from 1986. A flashback price of $169 on a new Sleepy's Queen mattress. Plus, get up to $400 off throwback deals on beds. And Wednesday through Sunday, take home a free adjustable base with a purchase of just $599. But hurry in, these awesome blasts from the past savings won't last forever. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. At ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our 5-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. We're about a quarter of the way through the season, so we will be talking about some first-quarter grades today. Uh, before we get underway, we, as always, be sure to check us out on Twitter at the NBA Pod, and there you can find all three of our Twitter handles. Be sure to give us a follow as well. You can check us out on iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe, to download, leave us some reviews. We would love to hear any feedback that you have. And this year we're being hosted. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select style. Excludes in-store clearance. On FanRag Sports, so give them a follow on Twitter at FanRag Sports. And for their NBA section, they're at FanRag NBA. So today, as always, I am joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? Going well, Brian. I'm good. That's good to hear. We also have a special guest. We have Keith Smith of Real GM. So, Keith, tell our readers or our listeners, I should say, where they can find you on Twitter and where else they can find your work. Sure. First off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to join you all and talk a little ball. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. No spaces, nothing like that. K-E-I-T-H-S-M-I-T-H-N-B-A. And then you can find my written work at RealGM.com as well as FanRag Sports where I write a daily wrap-up column called NBA Yesterday. And then if you want Celtics-specific coverage, you can find me on CelticsBlog.com and soon to come, 16WinsARing.com. We're just getting that launch, hopefully the end of the month here, right around Christmas. Very cool. Well, thanks for being on, Keith. I did see that 16 Wins a Ring. Uh, they were starting to release some of their writer lists, and it sounds like you guys have a pretty good crew over there. So that should be definitely something for our listeners to keep an eye out for. Uh, I think you know the, the first thing we need to talk about, we're going to hit a few brief mentions of games that happened the past week, and then we're going to do a few deep dives into teams, uh, specifically ones that Keith has some 
expertise on. So the big game of this past week was Clippers-Warriors. And frankly, it did not live up to the hype. You know, the, the whole story going into the game was, can the Clippers keep up with the Warriors? Is this the year they can actually beat the Warriors? Uh, I think we got a resounding answer in the fact that, you know, it was at LA and the Warriors blew them out 115 to 98 in a game that did not look nearly as close as the final score would indicate. So Sarah, I know on, I saw you on Twitter on Wednesday, you know, and you were talking about you had that game circled for months uh, and it does not seem like the Clippers did. Were you surprised by the Clippers <laughs> coming out so flat? Yeah, I was. I was because especially from the way they came out to start the season, it looked really good and like they were going to try to change the whole conversation this year and then it, they honestly, they really didn't show up. I'm not, I don't know why that happened, but they weren't there to play because the Warriors did not look very good to start the game either. Like, they mm-hmm. were gettable, and the Clippers just had nothing. So, and I know people have said Blake Griffin specifically. Yeah, that was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. Now, he was out last night. Is he is he hurt? Is he just resting? Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not uh, sure if he – I think he was just resting because they, they did one other game like that against Brooklyn earlier this year where yeah. they just rested him. So I think it's kind of a minutes management thing. They, they called him out with a slight knee injury, is what they called oh, him out as. Okay, so interesting. They, I think it's more of a nothing serious, just something to watch. But yeah, okay, yeah. When I went back and watched that, well, the first quarter of that game, because who could watch the whole thing again? But <laughs> uh, it did look like he maybe took a knee to the thigh really early on, because I saw mm. him limping, and I didn't notice that the first time. But I don't know. Hopefully. Hopefully the whole team can bounce back and be much better in the big games going forward. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we should necessarily be writing off a Clippers-Warriors conference finals yet. It won't be a blowout as much as this one was, but it was uh, disappointing to see the Clippers not play up to the standard that they've set the first quarter of the season. And another team that did not live up to their standard. (laughs) Uh, Sarah, your San Antonio Spurs took on Wharton's Chicago Bulls the following night. And, you know, it, it was a TNT Thursday night game. So you were basically doomed from the start. The Bulls won yeah. 95-91. Uh, more, what the hell is with the TNT Bulls? Is this really a thing? Like, should we just should we just write off any game that they win or they have on TNT? It's, it's yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think it's 15 straight wins. But I, I'm just, look, the Bulls win comes with a caveat, though. They gave up. I don't know how many open jumpers. And the Spurs just flat out missed them. If, if if the Spurs had just hit five or six of those shots, it would have been game over Bulls. So I, I'm not crowning Chicago as of yet. And I'm giving San Antonio benefit of the doubt. They just did knock down open shots. But, but Pop was pretty livid after the game. Yeah. Yeah. So Pop, after the game, really lit into the team and basically said they try for about half of the game. Uh, Sarah, have you been noticing that in the yeah? That's yeah, yeah, that's completely accurate. They've started really slow many times. I I was noting that on that road trip, they somehow won the the first two games. But same thing, they had a nine point second quarter in Milwaukee, Mm. and they had uh, I think they ended up scoring twenty one in the first quarter against Minnesota. But they shot like twenty eight percent 
I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's been bad. I know more your uh, your buddy Mark said that the Bulls were, were benefiting from an outlier performance. And I said, well, that's sweet of you to call it that. But, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of the Spurs right now. Um, they came out and blew the doors off the Nets last night, which was nice to see. Uh, yeah, it's the Nets, but the Nets have shown that they don't stop playing. And the Spurs actually put together a full 48-minute performance and made shots. So hopefully they continue to do that. But, yeah, it, they've had some droughts. And it has not been fun to watch. So maybe that Bulls loss woke them up a little bit or popped lighting into them in the <laughs> locker room. Worth noting, it looks like the Bulls have six more Thursday night TNT games. This Thursday they play Milwaukee uh, in January. And then Knicks, Keith, they're coming for your Celtics on February 16th. They also have the Warriors and Cleveland in March. So... We're, we're going to pay close attention to these TNT Bulls now that they are just apparently unbeatable on Thursday night games. Uh, and they, and and they, get, they, they get national TV Rondo, too. Oh, I was oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the difference right there, because when you're not getting national TV Rondo, you're getting a guy who shouldn't be on the depth chart. My God. Yeah. <laughs> I did see someone on Twitter like calling for them. Oh, it was I think it was Tom Ziller, right? Who was of SB Nation who was like calling for them to literally cut Rondo from the roster. <laughs> so that's that's where we're at with Rondo already. And no uh, one saw it coming. No one yeah. saw this coming. <laughs> <laughs> right. The synergy was just so... You expected so much more from that backcourt. Uh, one other quick game we need to mention, just because it's honestly become my favorite chicken little tradition since Sam Hinkie took over. Uh, the Sixers beat the Pelicans, and afterward there is a story about Alvin Gentry. Is he worried about his job security? You know, it's just, you lose to the Sixers and the sky starts falling immediately, which is just, it warms my heart. Uh, but the, the, the interesting comments came from Anthony Davis, I think. Uh, so I'm reading from an ESPN.com story, and they said, asked if this feels like a low point for the team. Anthony Davis replied, yep. Asked if this is the most frustrated he has been after a loss in his five seasons in New Orleans. Davis replied, yep. So, <laughs> I don't know what that says about, you know, I, again, we're not saying they're going to trade Anthony Davis because he's frustrated. I'm sure they're going to bounce back from this. The, the Drew Holiday bump uh, was short-lived because now he's got, I think, a turf toe injury, so he's been out a couple games. Just something to keep an eye on in New Orleans because, you know, he just signed this massive extension and... Seeds of discord are being planted a little bit. So I think uh, Ben Dowsett of Basketball Insiders uh, on Twitter the other day said, you know, if I was a smart team, if I was a GM of a smart team, I'd be lobbing trade offers at New Orleans and they'd probably get parried away and they'd probably laugh you off. But you never know when the tide may turn. So credit to the Sixers for, you know, breaking up any sense of harmony the Pelicans had. Uh the magic I want to talk about because Keith, you are based out of Orlando. Uh, we, we, Morton and I have been pretty vocal critics of what the magic have done in terms of their rebuild, especially in the last year or so. Uh, so, you know, it looked like they started off the season six and 10. It looked like all of the expectations of them being a bad team were coming true. 
Then Frank Vogel radically shakes up his lineup. He puts he benches Nikola Vucevic and Alfred Payton. He puts in Bismack Biombo and DJ Augustine. They go four and two over their next six games, including wins over Sarah's Spurs and the Pistons. But then they lost their past three, uh, two of which against Boston and Charlotte were blowouts. Uh, the Orlando Sentinels reporting they're in the market for a score, which makes sense because they've been struggling uh, to generate points a lot of the nights. They have one of the worst offenses in the league, unless they're playing the Washington Wizards. So, Keith, I want to ask you, what do you think Orlando's plan should be moving forward? Yeah, so the lineup change was the first part of it, really putting all that together. And that needed to happen just to get more offense on the floor. They were struggling so much to make anything happen. They had no spacing at all. And a lot of that comes from Alfred Payton. He doesn't space the floor well at the point guard position. And he really struggles to do much of anything other than handling the ball and making plays. I know we're all laughing about Rajon Rondo. Well, he's kind of the second coming, but less good, I guess, is the way I'll put it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for him, it's the, the challenge is if you're going to play Rondo, or excuse me, Peyton. See, now I'm thinking about Rondo. If we're gonna, if you're gonna play Peyton, you have to surround him with shooters, and they haven't done that when you have Aaron Gordon out there at the three because he's not consistent enough from there. So they had to they had to change that up. It seemed to work. They were they were doing okay. The defense was looking really good. The defense has played generally pretty good, with the exception of the last three four games where they've completely fallen apart defensively as well which is odd because it's kind of coincided with the offense coming around. So it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. So they, it's just a very ill-fitting roster. They, they really went for it. They pushed all the chips in this year to try and make the playoffs with the Ibaka acquisition and signing Biombo, bringing in DJ Augustine, Jeff Green. And it just hasn't worked out because the pieces don't fit well together. And the other challenge that they're – that they're having is they still need that score. They really need another wing score in the worst way. Joey Meeks can do some things for them, but he's not someone you can count on for, you know, more than maybe 10, 12 points a night off the bench. And that really falls on the shoulders of two guys. Aaron Gordon hasn't developed the way they would have hoped. And Mario Hazonia has completely fallen off the map. He's not even in the rotation to this point in the season. So those are the real big struggles to say that it's a news item that they need another score. I don't know. I think the the uh, writer who picked up on that picked up on something we've all been saying since July or August. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that's a little bit little bit of a challenge there. I know that they are talking to some teams, you know, but everybody's talking to everybody at this point in the year with the next trade window opening up on December fifteenth. So so yeah, just a lot of problems. They they just they they're not a consistent team at all, and that's that's the big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched them closely for the uh, that Wizards game on Tuesday, and that you know the, that one made it look like, oh wow, maybe this Magic team is starting to put it together. Like their bench outscored their starters. I think their bench had like seventy some points. Uh, Peyton had a career had twenty five. I think all three of their guys, like Jeff Green, had twenty. I think Meeks had eighteen somewhere around there, um, and Vucevic had ten, ten, and six off the bench. So it looked like that brought them some much-needed balance because then, you know, the, the logic is Augustine and Biombo are lower-usage guys. They don't necessarily need the ball in their hands as much as Vooch and Peyton, which then takes the ball out from Aaron Gordon and Ibaka and Fournier. So it looked like they might have been hitting their stride, and then these last three games happened, and it's like, oh, back to square one. So 
you know, Morton has been a pretty vocal advocate that they need to at least seriously consider trading Serge Ibaka before risking losing him in free agency uh, in the summer of 2017. Do you think that's something that they should consider or that do you know offhand if they are considering that? Should consider, yes. Are considering, no. They're they're not going to trade him, and he doesn't want to go anywhere. He wants to be here. At least that's the message he continues to tell everyone. He's been consistent with that from the time he was traded here to now. He continues to get asked about it on almost a nightly basis as you know different out of town media comes through so he wants to be in orlando i think abak is the kind of guy he's a loyal guy he wants to put his roots down and stay in one place and that's really important to him the challenge is to they've got to do something abaka vucevic and biombo together it's it's a surplus that no one really needs they're three starting level players and it's not working. The odd thing is Abak and Biombo together, weird enough, they're getting killed inside when those two play together. It just John Schumann of NBA.com came out with it today. They're actually negative 10.9 point in the paint differential per 36 minutes, which you would Oof. never think, right? Yeah. That's uh, that's odd. Biombo and Vucevic, flat even. Abak and Vucevic, mm. up uh, 2.8 positive. So that's, oh. you know, just numbers that, you know, now – somewhat smallish sample sizes but not really at this point in the year it's you know all up up around or over 200 minutes so starting to get to a point where it's it's a thing so that's Mm -hmm. a little odd but yeah to go back to the original question i think they should look into moving abaca but they paid such a price to get a victor oladipo who in a lot of ways was the franchise guy here in orlando people loved him he was the last guy introduced for games in the starting lineup those sorts of things and a lottery pick that's a tough sell. They'd have to get a big return back mm-hmm. to make that work here with a fan base that is rapidly starting to lose patience and worse, losing interest in the team. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were talking about this, I want to say last week, and about how some general managers just aren't willing to take that sunk cost. Like, they they make this move and they say, oh, well, I traded Oladipo and Sabonis, so I can't not get a huge return, but Abaka is a free agent in July. He could leave, so he's not going to get a huge return if they do trade him. Yeah. So it's like, can you just admit you made a mistake and sell for sixty cents on the dollar in case Abaka decides, you know, the season goes totally off the rails and he says, I want to go elsewhere. I want to go to a team that has some chance of winning a title in the next five years. So it's they are in a very uh, tricky, interesting position. So, uh, Mort, I want to throw this one to you as our resident crazy trade guy. Uh, <laughs> if, if they don't trade Ibaka and they're looking for a scorer, who do you think they should trade? And then are they, do you have any targets in mind who would make sense for them? Oh, well, not as of this moment. I can I can at least locate a couple guys that I would put on the market for a scorer. I mean, I'm sure it seems are still in somewhat interest of Mario Hisonia, even though he's been... Let's just say it. He's been bad. He's been really bad this year. I don't know if it's a question of him being developed the wrong way, of his system losing his confidence. Keith, maybe you can shed some light on that. But he's definitely a guy who I think would attract some interest in the market. The problem, as far as I see it, is the guy who should be scoring is actually Hisonia himself. That was that was he was brought in to be this two-way guy who can shoot and and handle the ball a little bit and be an energy guy. When the when that kind of yeah plan didn't work out, then you need to do something else. And when you 
get a guy like Ibaka in who's 27, 28. Like, what's your direction? I, I just want to know what kind of direction they want to go in. If they're cashing all their chips, then yeah, the young guys might have to go. And and here's the big crazy one. I don't like it. I wouldn't do it if I'm Orlando. But do you dangle Aaron Gordon? I, I don't think it's crazy. If you're like committed to building around Ibaka, I mean, Keith, you might want to be able to shed some light on this one as well, but it... To me, from an outside perspective, it seems like both of those guys are best suited to play the four. And if you're really committed to Ibaka and re-signing him, you know, he's probably going to command a max contract, I would assume, or very close to a max deal. So it doesn't, to me, make much sense unless you think Gordon really can play the three full-time. You know, Vogel said he wanted Gordon to develop into this Paul George role, but hard to see that at least right now it seems like he's struggling when he moves to the three and he really again is just best suited for the four so tough yeah i mean yeah yeah Uh, i can oh sorry sorry. go go (laughs) ahead yeah i was just gonna say do you know a if they're even considering moving gordon and then b what any sense of what's going on with hazonia yeah so i want to touch on one more thing with abaca the challenge is is rob hennigan is almost at this point put himself in a in a no win position. He can't trade Ibaka because he just got him, and they're mm-hmm. trying to make the playoffs. So you know to trade him to rebuild, he won't be here to see the rebuild come through. You know if right. he sells that piece off. The other piece is, I don't know that ownership is willing to let him trade any of the young guys because again, if those moves backfire and they don't work out, Henning it might not be here. And now you've got. No young talent. You're starting all over again with a brand new GM and a flawed roster, and you don't have those pieces. So I think he's stuck in the middle. One guy who makes sense for me for them as a trade target, and it looks like Brooklyn's getting closer to willing to sell off some pieces to recoup assets, is uh, Bojan Bogdanovic. He's a uh, good player, good wing scorer, would fit a lot of the needs that Orlando has. Uh, can both come off the bench and start if they needed him to. He was really, really good in the Olympics. He's continued to be solid in the NBA, and he shouldn't cost all that much to go get. Now, to your other questions about Aaron Gordon. Yeah, he, Aaron Gordon, I think, to everybody but the Orlando Magic is a four. And <laughs> <Right>. unfortunately, <laughs> they're the ones who matter. Right, they they want to play him at the three. They believe, and and it's funny because every game he shows flashes of maybe this can work, but they're just flashes. It never gets put together for more than a couple minutes at a time. And finally, on Hizonia, the challenge is with a coach like Frank Vogel. If you don't defend, you're not going to play unless you're knocking down every shot you take. And he's not hitting shots. He doesn't play defense, so he's just not going to see the floor, and that's going to be a challenge. You know, if he can't get out there, then he can't. Prove it. Now, they continue to say his attitude is great. He's working hard. He's really trying. There's been some rumblings coming out for the people who are close to the team that his attitude maybe isn't quite as good as you think. And, and that was one of those things. He kind of came in the league as the kind of guy who has a chip on his shoulder. And people love that about him. It was like, this guy, you know, he, he's tough. You know, he's a bulldog. He's, you know, kind of a jerk, but in a good way, the kind of way you want. And now it's one of those where maybe that's not exactly where we wanted it to be. So that's a challenge with him and i just can't see at this point how as long as they're committed to trying to win which they are they're not in development stage anymore they're trying to make the playoffs how he's gonna see the floor at all yeah yeah that's that's a you know that he's been a popular guy at least on sixers twitter who it's like 
we always mention his name as someone to just try to steal from Orlando. Like, hey, you want Hollis Thompson? Send Hazonia in return. Come on, down. He's a popular guy. Every team, every visiting team that comes through Orlando, they are like, what's going on with Hazonia? What would it take to get that guy? You yeah. Know, and it's and I know they've taken calls on him, but they're 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 holding tight for right now. That makes sense. I mean, at least wait to see what this new CBA does in terms of retaining players, whatnot. So it, we've long said Orlando is in a very tough spot. And Keith, thanks for your intel on that. It sounds like you know it's <laughs> it's just as tricky as we've been saying. So yeah. uh, you know, we want to touch next. We mentioned this last week uh, that Brooklyn was going to sign Donatus Matayunas to a offer sheet. The reported terms were four years, thirty-seven million, according to ESPN.com. Uh, what we didn't expect is Houston to match the offer sheet. So it sounds like uh, they matched it. And then Mariunas got pissed. He did not show up for his physical. They eventually rescinded the offer sheet and then signed him immediately to a, I believe it was a, a deal very similar to the sheet that he originally signed with Brooklyn. The big difference was his salary for 2017-18. It had, on the offer sheet, it had to be guaranteed in March. Uh, under their terms, it, they got pushed back to mid-July. So we thought we were done. We thought it was over. He hasn't been cleared medically, though. So he was apparently told to go home Saturday. So there's still... Uh, the saga is not completely over. He has signed, but there's, he's still not playing basketball for the Houston Rockets. So before we get into the numbers, Sarah, as our big man expert here, talk to us about Mati Yunus and uh, what he would, would bring to the Rockets if he does ever get cleared. Well, maybe you guys, I'd love to hear your opinions because, like I said, I was surprised that they signed him. It seemed like they didn't really have plans for him. So maybe I got that wrong. Maybe he's just been so hurt off and on that that's why it seems like he's not a part of the plan. But, I mean, I like him, but I was hoping that he would be freed so that he could get a new start because it just didn't seem like it was going to work out there. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I I think it was a surprise that Brooklyn matched, uh, you know, based on the original reporting, it made it sound like, you know, once, or sorry, the Houston match, it made it sound like when Brooklyn signed him, he was going to become a Brooklyn net and had already started writing a fantasy column, in fact, for FanRag about (laughs) how he's going to fit in Brooklyn and that Houston match. So Keith, break down the numbers here. Why, I think, you know, there's some nitty gritty stuff about, the bonuses in particular, that sounds like the way Brooklyn structured the offer sheet might have lent itself to Houston matching. Can you explain that to uh, to our listeners here? Yeah, for sure. So what happens in an offer sheet is there's two different pieces to it. There's principal terms and non-principal terms. Principal terms are essentially the way to think about it is almost guaranteed money as well as any bonus money that is considered to be a principal term of the deal and that all principal terms must be matched by the incumbent team. So in this case, Houston, what Brooklyn did was they wrote up the salary as the principal terms, which it's guaranteed salary is always going to be a principal term. Then they made the bonuses non-principal terms. So they're not, they don't have to be matched. So what happened was Houston said, well, we're going to match, but we're not. We're going to throw the rest of this out. 
which makes it more advantageous to us because we're going to lock in this money here. And then that was where it sounds like both Donatus Moda Yunus and BJ Armstrong got upset and said, no, match the whole deal and we're willing to come. And then the other piece that made it enticing for Houston to match was the final three years were essentially non-guaranteed. Even the first year in the original offer sheet was only $5 million guaranteed. So what it did was it put Mauda Yunus into a position where are you going to take so little money? Because it had the potential for Houston to get out of this with only $5 million guaranteed and could just walk away. So that's really tricky and that's tough. Um, to do there. So, you know, hard to know um, exactly what their their hopes were on that. So I don't, I think Brooklyn screwed up, in my opinion, with the way they wrote it, or maybe they didn't really want him in the first place. You know, and they just, you know, were hoping maybe we can steal or I shouldn't say they didn't want him, right? They obviously did. But maybe we can steal him at this price that ends low cost for us so it doesn't work out. We can get he's out of it easily. But Houston obviously said, no, wait a minute, you made it too, too good. You know, we'll grab him back for this. And in a lot of ways, right, as we were saying, he's a great fit for the Houston offense as a mobile big, can shoot, can do a lot of things, really fits well. So so that's that's the tricky part is these off sheets are hard to understand. And I had a lot of people asking me, but wait, how can they match? How can they just throw it away? Well, it's because he didn't come in for the physical. He refused that. So for a very brief glimmer there, he was a restricted free agent again, but it was obviously done on – you know, hey, I'll go back to restricted free agency, but I'm going to immediately resign with you guys. And now this latest news of there's still issues. Who this? This is a weird situation. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, he so he reportedly uh, before signing the offer sheet with Brooklyn, wonder went a battery of medical tests supposedly checked out okay. You know, he's had. Sarah mentioned he has, he's had some back problems for a while now. That scuttled the trade to Detroit at the trade deadline in February. So, yeah, I mean, this this saga is, is most certainly not over, and it's still threatening. You know, I thought we saw the most acrimonious part of it settled once they came to terms on this offer sheet, but stay tuned, listeners, because it sounds like we've, we've, we've still yet to see the end of whatever is happening, but it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, Houston is playing really well already and getting, if they can clear Mata Yunus medically, it's going to be a big piece to add because he will be a dangerous fit in the Mike D'Antoni system, uh, especially. So I want to next turn to Keith's beloved Boston Celtics. Uh, you know, we, we touched on them a couple weeks ago, but since then we want to just bring everyone up to speed with where they are. So heading into Sunday, they are 13-10. They are tied with the Knicks and the Bulls for fourth in the East. They have not beat a team over 500 since November 19th against the Pistons. Uh, Since then, their wins have come against Minnesota, Brooklyn, Miami, Sacramento, Philly, and Orlando. Their losses were against San Antonio, Detroit, Houston, and Toronto. You know, we mentioned uh, when we talked about them originally, and it was a big story in the first couple weeks of the year, their defense was horrible at the beginning of the year. It was bottom five and then bottom ten. They've mostly rebounded from that. They are 15th right now league-wide, so they're still not an elite defensive club, but they're not the outright embarrassment they were in the first couple weeks. Uh, that said, they are still one of the NBA's worst rebounding teams. I believe they are bottom five in total rebounding percentage. We, When we talked about them last, they were still getting over some early season injuries, particularly to Jay Crowder and Al Horford. 
Isaiah Thomas was the latest for the injury bug to wreak havoc. He hurt his groin Monday, but he's hopeful to come back this coming Wednesday, so he should only miss one more game. Uh, so, Keith, what's going on with the Celtics team? Are they less of a contender than a lot of us expected heading into the year, or is it basically just injury luck wreaking havoc through the first quarter of the season? I'm going to give a cop-out answer here and say a little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> the injuries certainly haven't helped at all. They, they've they only played a handful of games with the entire crew together that they hope to have really one through nine or so in the rotation. So that's been a challenge for certain. So they need to figure that out. And again, Isaiah Thomas is going to miss tonight in Oklahoma City. So it's going to be tough for them. So so that's a little, little tricky there with that. But they're... The defense is still good, and it's coming around, especially as guys have gotten healthy. They're really based on they got to be able to fly around the perimeter, challenge guys, force turnovers. That's going to be the way they get it done With on that end. The rebounding, you've mentioned it, it's been awful. They struggle with that, and even in the games where they look good, they give up those back-breaking offensive rebounds. That tends to really hurt them, so... Their leading rebounder by a pretty healthy margin has been Avery Bradley, which no one expected to see. He's averaging <laughs> around eight rebounds a game, which is a high for a guard. And I think they someone said the other day they last 30 or 40 years, which is, uh, wow. you know, I mean, that's all well and good for Avery Bradley. Probably not, probably not very good for the Celtics. But it's one of those things where I think what they need to do is we need to get the full team together for a period of about two to three weeks and really see what happens then. Because even in the losses to the contenders, they've all been close. They've been right in all those games. They just haven't made enough plays to close them out. And they've been against really good teams. So hopefully they can you know, get back on track here, be the team we, we really think they, they might be. The other piece is it really feels like they've got a trade in them. I don't know what that trade's going to be. I'm not reporting anything, but they've got, you know, that war chest of assets. Seems like they are a little more willing to maybe cash those in than they have been in the prior years to go make something happen. So I think think you're going to see a little bit of a different team here come the trade deadline and as we approach the playoffs. So my, my main message has been don't panic. They're, they're fine. You know, no one's run away from them in the East. They're still right there with Toronto. But Toronto has established themselves as the second-best team in the East, as I think most of us thought they would be. But the Celtics will be okay. They just got to get healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a fair fair to hedge and take both sides of that equation because, you know, fourth, they're fourth in the East. We, like, no one should be panicking. They are not – their season is not going down the drain like the Dallas Mavericks by any means. You know, they're <laughs> still right in the mix there. Uh Sarah, I want you to, we were talking about them a couple weeks ago, and Sarah came up with a very good trade target for them. So, Sarah, blow Keith's mind with this one. (laughs) Uh, Well, we were talking about the Nuggets last week and their kind of front court situation, and we were trying to find a spot for Nurkic, and I thought perhaps Boston would be a good spot for him. The only thing is I'm not sure that the Nuggets want to try to move him right now, but... But what do you think about that, Keith? Yeah, I like the idea in a lot of ways. The one thing that he doesn't do really well, Brad Stevens requires his bigs to be able to handle the ball 
and pass it on the perimeter. That's kind of the reason why Tyler Zeller has fallen out of the rotation over the last couple of years, and he's really now the fifth guy. If you look at all the rest of their bigs, they can all handle it out there and pass it fairly well. I mean, Al Horford's averaging, I think, six-something assists a game, which is just ridiculous. But Nurkic would really help. He'd be a big help on the boards and with the interior defense. The challenge, why I don't think Boston and Denver are good trade partners, Denver needs to and wants to make a consolidation trade where they go and match up a bunch of their pieces to get in that next big guy to take them to the next level. And Boston would be looking more for, hey, here's a few more draft picks, and Denver's good enough of those. I mean, they drafted three first or three guys in the first round last year. So that's a little bit of the, the challenge for the Nuggets right now. They're almost in that uh, mix of we don't need any more guys. We need to get rid of some of the guys we have and go get a star player here, which is what Celtics are still looking to do. So, But overall, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Nurkic or someone of that ilk because I think you can game plan around the fact that he can't really pass and um, handle the ball outside that he you know would be enough of a positive inside that it would help them. Yeah, if if you want Jaleel Okafor, he is widely available, by the way. <laughs> and widely rumored with the Celtics. Almost every day that one comes up. Him yeah, or Nerlens Noel. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, Nerlens, I feel. Well, Nerlens is making his season debut on Sunday, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but, yes, Nerlens and his Boston roots, there has been a lot of talk about him. So we'll keep an eye on Boston in the trade market. It does sound like... It's interesting to hear that they are finally ready to cash in because Morton and I have been very vocal critics of Mr. Danny Ainge for sitting on that war chest a little bit too long and letting those assets depreciate, particularly those Brooklyn Nets picks. Question. Uh, Just one question before we move on, Brian. Could we see like a bidding war for DeMarcus Cousins at the trade deadline between Denver and Boston, assuming he's in play for both? I don't think... Boston is as interested in Cousins as people want them to be. Okay. The challenge is they have built this team around high-character guys who work really hard all the time, are willing to get into it. I don't think it's the fact that Cousins has, you know, he's got kind of that attitude on the court. I think it's more some of the things around the team. He's not always seen as the best teammate, and that's a little bit of a challenge. And then, this most recent off-the-court incident definitely didn't help mm. in that respect. I'm not going to rule it out. I think if they could get him for a reasonable enough package, they'd go do it. But the fact that he comes in and it would really change what they are as a team in a lot of ways because they'd have to feed him the ball quite a bit to make it work. I think between that and the cost to go get him, it's such a massive risk that I just don't know that he's the guy that Danny Ainge is going to go all in for. That's fair. Interesting. Very interesting. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye out. I guess the boogie, tra- the boogie trade deadline war is just going to be Denver versus no one. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So let's turn our attention. The last team we're going to do a deep dive on this week is the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I mean, I mainly want to talk about Zach Lowe had a really illuminating interview with Earl Watson the other day. And I think, uh, you know, it touches on a bunch of stuff that's not necessarily about the Suns, so it's well worth the read, uh, anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But it does talk a lot about the Suns, uh, particularly how they're balancing a kind of a win-now mentality with player development. Uh, He talked about, you know, he sees Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris in particular. Their development is critical, and I think... 
forget exactly what he said. Something like that their development is almost as good, if not better, than a trade bringing in. Uh, wait, yeah, yeah. He's, he literally said their development is better than a trade. Uh, the only room to go through is through the young guys. So he just he just said we have too many guys. So uh, more. I mean, you know, we all expected the Suns to struggle this year. Mm-hmm. That was no secret. I think they had the lowest uh, over under in terms of Vegas preseason lines, and they're seven and sixteen right now. They're I mean, they're actually twelfth in the West, so they might be exceeding expectations to some degree. Uh, but what do you see happening with the Phoenix Suns? Do you think Watson's approach at the player development being the primary focus, are you in support of that? Uh, Yeah, obviously. I mean, they have a lot of components there. Um, uh, What I wonder is where do they, how do they look at Eric Bledsoe? Do they look at him as sort of a youngster or do they they look at him as some sort of older core guy that could be expendable? Because he's obviously a guy who, who clocks up the entire guard spot. He, he's excellent when healthy, but that's really the main issue. You can't really rely mm-hmm. on his health going over to you know two seasons ahead of time because you just he ha- he's had that on and off season. Like one season he's healthy, then he's he's injured, and then it goes on and on and on. And like, where do you stand with him? But outside of that, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. T.J. Warren looks good again when healthy. Um, you you have Devin Booker, who's obviously terrific in many regards, and not the Clay Thompson type that we may have been expecting, but mm-hmm. you know, finding his niche as his own type of guy. And then, what the hell is are they supposed to do with Brandon Knight as well? I mean, there are some questions there, but uh, I like the fact that he gambles on the youth. I think that's the right play right now. Yeah, and he actually mentioned in this interview he talked about Devin Booker too. Uh, he said, we forget how young he is. What he can do at age 20 is remarkable. I was teammates with Russ Westbrook, with Kevin Durant, with Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum. He's ahead of them in lots of ways. He just said defensively he has to get what I call, quote, grown man strength. So, you know, I think uh, <laughs> I, I, a lot of us were crowding uh, both Towns and Devin Booker coming into the year as kind of these, like, this next generation of superstars and both have kind of... I don't know if struggled is the right word with the expectations. They have not lived up to the expectations, but that just might be a, you know, our expectations were too high. Like these guys are 21, 22, 20. Like it takes time to evolve into that game breaking superstar. Um, Yeah. I think what your discussion about uh, Knight and Bledsoe in particular is the big one for them moving forward, especially as we, approach the trade deadline i mean knight has been awful this year in no uncertain terms i mean going into the year i was saying you know with nerland's basically trying to force his way out i was saying i would be surprised if they could flip nerland's for brandon knight at this point i think (laughs) i would be surprised if that's all they could get if they really were trying to ship nerland's to phoenix uh so, it, it, Keith, do you have any intel in, toward, in terms of Phoenix and whether are they trying to keep the band together or are they a team to keep an eye on at the trade deadline as well? Yeah, this is a really good time, and I should have a piece coming out here soon on Real GM all about the Suns and how they've done everything wrong since that surprise group a few years back. <laughs> and basically, every move they've made has backfired on them. So, look for that. That should be out soon, but... The reality is I found 
Earl Watson's comments to be a little disingenuous because he said all the right things about playing the young guys, but then he doesn't actually do it. Dragon mm-hmm. Bender still barely sees any time. You know, he's playing a little bit more now. He's getting maybe 10 minutes a game or so. But where he's looked really good is when they've played him at the five instead mm-hmm. of forcing him into playing the three or the four. Right. And if they force him into playing those, I mean, that's fine, I guess. Might as well find out if it can work because the season's not going anywhere. But in my opinion, you'll see this in the piece. I would take whatever I could get for Tyson Chandler and whatever I could get for P.J. Tucker and just move on. Open up all those minutes for the young guys. Let the point guard spot be between Bledsoe and Knight. Let them figure it out. And, you know, if someone blows you away for either one of them, sure, move them. But I don't think that offer is coming because of Bledsoe's health concerns. And then Knight just maybe he's not good anymore, if, if he ever was in the first place. So that's the uh, that's the challenges. They, they've got to... They've got to go with the young guys, which I think they know, but but then they didn't do it, right? They went out and got Jared Dudley. They signed Leandro Barbosa. They've still got Chandler. They've got Tucker around. What is Alex Len? He's a free agent at the end of the summer. You're going to keep him around. He's a big, so he's probably going to get paid because bigs always get paid. You know, so you're going to, is he your guy long-term at the five? What, what are you going to do? And I, I would devote the rest of the season starting as soon as I could I just play all those young guys, see what happens. If Dudley's there, that's fine. He wants to be there. You know, he can fill a role. Barbosa's only signed for this year, minimal guarantee for next year, I think it is. So keep him around. But really go go with the young kids, see what happens. Hopefully TJ Warren can get back pretty soon. He was really playing well before he went down with his head injury. So hopefully he can come back and just work it out, figure out what you've got and go and build. But this time, don't try to rush it. Don't go out and get, you know, don't don't have these pie-in-the-sky ideas, you know, like LaMarcus Aldridge. That, I mean, they, you know, it sounds like their attitude is Aldridge led them on. But yeah. did he? Was he ever going there? I mean, come on. <laughs> I think we all knew he was going to San Antonio, yeah. right? And it was, you know, especially when it got around to, I'm going to do a second meeting. That's when Phoenix should have backed out of that and said, all right, we're done. Yeah, yeah, we're out. You know, so those were, you know, just every decision they've made has just been. It 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 seems like it was. I want to skip two steps forward in the rebuild process and get back to the playoffs here, and all it's done instead was set the back two steps in the process. Yeah, uh, you know, Watson when he's talking to Lowe actually brought up, or I guess Lowe brought up the Lamarcus Aldridge thing, uh, and they mentioned, you know, th- that Chandler signing was to lure. LaMarcus like they signed Chandler it sounded like minutes before they had their meeting with LaMarcus and then LaMarcus comes to the room and there's Tyson Chandler and I guess they had they had a relationship in the past so you know that was supposed to sway him uh which it did not <laughs> as Sarah <laughs> as Sarah can gladly attest uh so yeah I mean I, Keith I think you're spot on I think uh you know they they really these half-hearted rebuilds don't work as I think we're seeing, you know, frankly in Orlando, you really need to either just, you either need to completely go all in on the youth or you need to kind of do what Houston did prior to James Harden, like just kind of stay afloat in that 35, 40 win territory, try to accumulate assets, be ready to strike when the first superstar, not even superstar. I mean, hard ones the superstar when they traded for him, you know, be ready to strike when the next, Aaron Gordon comes up to be traded. Uh, so it, Phoenix is definitely one in terms of just being, you know, I don't know, again, that they trade Bledsoe and Knight or anything like that, but I think you're spot on with them 
wanting to trade veterans. Uh, so let's go into our Where Amazing Happens segment. Before we tackle our one quarter way awards, I want to give a few shout outs to some insane performances uh, over the past week. Clay Thompson gets the first one. He went off for a career high 60 points against Indiana on Monday, which, you know, Clay started the year struggling a little bit, uh, from especially from three point range. But we made fun of him over the summer because he said, you know, I, I don't need to sacrifice with Kevin Durant coming. And the, then it looked like he did. But no, Clay Thompson's still Clay Thompson. And the Warriors are still the Warriors, uh, save for this, you know, they got blown out by Memphis last night because, of course, they did. Uh, but otherwise, the Warriors still look great. Clay is playing well, so good for Clay. Russell Westbrook, I think we just need to start a weekly Russell Westbrook triple-double <laughs> feature. Uh, he is up to seven straight triple-doubles, which is the longest streak since MJ had seven in 1988-89. I think it was in March and April of 89. He's had nine in his past 11 games, and here's the sickest part. Had he got two more rebounds and one more assist... He would have 11 straight. It's It just it goes, there are no words to describe what Russell Westbrook is doing right now. So, again, there's that's the start of our Russell Westbrook triple-double feature. I'm sure there's going to be four more to add next week. Uh, and then John Wall had a career-high 52, and the Wizards still lost to Orlando on Tuesday, which... Uh, members of the step back on fansided. I think we the the chain Wednesday was why or how can we free Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and John Wall? And is it a coincidence that they all played on Kentucky? What what does that have to say? <laughs> so those were some of the uh, most insane performances of the week. Let's get into. We are about one quarter of the way through the season, so let's dive right in and talk about who we would have you know we're we're not picking award winners today there's still a long way to go but if we had to pick award winners today who would we pick for the big ones i think rookie of the year we don't need to spend too much time on consensus there didn't you consensus joel Embiid. do we do we have any jamal murray dissenters in the house (laughs) no no i think we can move on from that okay so Yeah. yeah joel Embiid is good at basketball you're so happy out. right now yeah yeah, yeah. well <laughs> you deal with three years of people crapping on sam hinkie and seeing that pan out is just it's christmas every morning every yeah. time he plays uh i'm gonna save mvp for last so let's go into coach of the year next and mort who do you have for coach of the year pop still even though Ooh. through the loss to chicago i don't, I don't care <laughs> I, you know i've just changed uh, my whole outlook on coach of the year i just wanted to go to the best coach every year because i think so many coaches over the years have gotten screwed Mm. so i'm just on like best coach out there period and that's pop and he should win the next three as far as i'm concerned (laughs) they should just rename it the greg popovich coach of the year award yeah okay uh sarah i'm guessing you will not complain with mort's take but who do you have (laughs) Uh, I still really like Luke Walton for it. Nice. I mean, the the guys that you put in the outline can't argue with the, either of those either. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't argue with what Luke's done so far. Yeah, he's been. We we mentioned them I think a week or two ago. So check that out for more. You know, they they are vastly exceeding expectations. They've hit a rough patch of late, but injuries have really besieged them. But they're already like halfway toward their Vegas over under, and we're a quarter way through the season. So the math is in Luke's favor there. 
Uh, Keith, who, who would you like for coach of the year if we had to pick today? I'd go with David Fisdale. Nice. The, they have been so good with all those injuries and the fact that they just keep plugging along and it's different guys in there every night. We've seen Miami's banged up. They've really fallen off course. New Orleans is banged up. They've fallen off course. Memphis is just as banged up, and they just keep winning games. And David Fisdale's done such a good job, especially with the way he's really tailored that offense around Mark Gasol. Yes. And asking, you know, asking, encouraging, forcing him to shoot three pointers and play outside and do all the things he's done. I just, I love everything he's done in Memphis. Yeah, he's been insane. He's, I'm torn between two guys, him or Mike D'Antoni, and I think. Because of the injuries, I would go with Fizdale as well. But I'm also bitter because they beat the Sixers in double overtime. So for that reason, I'm going with Mike D'Antoni because you know D'Antoni came in with the reputation of only being an offensive guy, and yeah, the Rockets are still mostly relying on offense. But this James Harden point guard experiment—it's legit. He's got that team playing really well, uh, which you know I don't think anyone expected them to be as good as they are. And it's hard to, I mean, for both of those guys, and Luke Walton, frankly, it's hard to get guys to buy into a system that quickly. So it's impressive for all three of them, frankly, to be finding the early success that they have with their teams. Let's go to sixth man of the year. And Keith, I'll start with you on this one. Who do you have? Eric Gordon. Nice. He's been so good for Houston. He, I know he started a handful of games, but I think he's still... In, in the six-man-of-the-year criteria here, he's probably going to be at the end of the year. He's just been amazing. So it's all about health. If he can stay healthy the rest of the year, I don't see any reason why this will not continue. And it seems like it's his year to win it. Yeah. Yeah, I think he had a career-high eight three-pointers the other night. And uh, I forget, I didn't check the most recent game, but he was on a stretch right there where he had four or more three-pointers for like seven or eight straight games. So he's been playing out of his mind. Uh, Sarah, who do you like for sixth man of the year so far? I just realized that I basically have like all Lakers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, was, I, I came in thinking I was going to pick Lou, but it's so hard to choose between him, him and Eric Gordon right now. Um, and that's the awesome thing about it being so early is we get to see how the rest of the season plays out. Uh, but I think it's definitely a, a two dog race right now. And it, Eric, it has the fast track because of what Houston is doing, and I think he's crucial to their season. So, yeah, hopefully he can stay healthy. Yes, but Sweet Lou is a very good pick as well. I think uh, he – I don't know – I don't remember the exact number. I think he had like 137 points in yeah. his most recent four games, and Magic Johnson yeah. was one to already crown him sixth man of the year on Twitter. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw that, but he said, it's not even a contest. So – we know Magic's pick. Mort, how about you? Who do you like for the award? Eric Gordon, simply because Lou Williams, as of right now, I think he's on a hot streak. I think mm-hmm. Gordon has been more consistent throughout the year, and yep. I value that tremendously. It also adds a lot of balance to a bench unit. I know he started eight games, but like Keith said, it's that's not really a concern. It's still below the, 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 the criteria, and you know it's not a problem, and he's probably going to come off the bench for the remainder of the year anyway. So, yeah, I, I'm with Eric Gordon on this. But but here's the thing. If Lou keeps doing what he's doing right now, then at some point, then then that's going to go away, you know, for, for Eric. And then it's all going to be Lou Williams. Yeah. Because what he's doing right now is utterly ridiculous. And if he somehow 
continues averaging what eight i want to say 18 almost 19 a game off the bench and doing so in extremely limited minutes mm-hmm. then he yeah then he should even have the award named for, after him for a year at least <laughs> yeah. because that's that's crazy yeah, he, both guys have been playing out of their minds. Uh, and, you know, I think Lou's numbers might be inflated recently uh, just in terms of how many injuries. You know, they're down D'Angelo Russell, they're down Nick Young, and both of those guys are playing well, scoring a lot. So it would not surprise me to see Lou Williams' numbers go down a little bit. Yeah, I think, Keith, you were the one who said it, it comes down to health for Eric Gordon. If he stays healthy the whole year, he's playing out of his mind. I think he's surprising a lot of people, you know. People kind of checked out on him in New Orleans because he was just hurt all the time. But he was such an obvious, logical fit for that D'Antoni system, and he's playing really well. Mort, you're right. I don't think he's coming off. I think he's going to come off the bench for the rest of the year as long as Beverly stays healthy. So eligibility is not a concern there. So I'm joining you guys. I like Eric Gordon for this one. Uh, Let's do defensive player of the year. And, Sarah, we will start with you. Because your boy Kawhi, your boy Kawhi is in the mix, but I don't know. Uh, do you do you have him or do you have someone else? Oh, it's really hard for me to go against Kawhi, especially since Draymond is openly campaigning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've said before, Draymond deserves it. I mean, he, they can't do what they do without him. The whole reason that that lineup exists and excels is because they can't punish them inside because of Draymond. So. Yeah, I just, it, I don't know, <laughs> I'm biased when people start, um, you know, campaigning for it. Because Pop has, like, this policy where he won't do it, his staff won't do it. So I feel like I ought to come out then and support Kawhi. I know his numbers aren't good, but we all know that's because <laughs> teams don't try him. They try to pull him out. And I've actually seen him really trying to get into the middle and help mm. uh, in Tim's absence. But, yeah, it's been difficult because... Uh, as we know, as 50 Cent would say, the, the Spurs defense is a Pop-Tart. It's soft in the middle. So. <laughs> Kawhi's trying to help. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was fantastic. We might just need to end the podcast there. That was too good. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, Keith, who would you like for DPOY? I'd say Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. right now. He's been so good. He... And it's funny, sometimes I think defensive player of the year, even though it shouldn't, if a guy makes an offensive improvement, it almost seems to improve the player's chances, mm-hmm. although they should be completely unrelated. Right. But Go- <laughs> Gobert's been really good on that end of the court, too. But he's he's just he's moving so well now. Utah's finally winning games, and they're a good team. So I think he's my pick to this point in the year. I like that one. Uh, yeah, he, he, I'm torn between him or Draymond, so I'm going to take a little bit more time while Mort goes and tells me who he's got. Well, Keith more or less just covered it. I, I'm on the Gobert wagon as well. The fact that you're 7-1, 7-2, and you move the way that you do and protect the basket with those arms and, and the amount of space he covers just taking a step or two, it's, it's insane. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's his award this time around. Um, something has to go really really bad for him and the whole squad for him not to get it i think he's like so far ahead of the next on the list which is draymond hmm. yeah well yeah. just to troll sarah i'm gonna take draymond mainly just <laughs> just for that roundhouse kick that he delivered to james harden the other week uh if he nice. yeah if he can uh if he cannot get disqualified from playing basketball despite 
kicking everyone in every body part. It's, it's frankly the best defense anyone's going to play all year because he's <laughs> he's playing defense on Adam Silver. Uh, um, all right, so we'll do most improved player next, and we will start with Mort. Giannis. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Look, I know that he's a first-round pick and people have expectations, but he was still 15th. So that I've said in a prior podcast that I don't think lottery picks should be accounted into most improved players since he's the 15th pick. That's just outside the lottery. So our, our, our argument is going to stick. But I think last time I checked, I, uh, I haven't checked for a few days. I think he was at 22, 8, 6, 2, and 2. Mm. He's 22 years old, right? Yeah. 22. And he's this good already, but just the, the improvement he made from last year to, to now, it, yeah, there are no words to describe it. I know on your list you've mentioned Julius Randle and Nick Stauskas, but those two guys can just go home, man. They, they failed the lottery pick test. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, who do you have for most improved player? Uh, I don't want to answer this one because I'd, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Yeah. And... I might just have to piggyback on what Morton said. I was going to go with Randall, but I don't really like that choice. And I can't have an all-Laker team, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to abstain mainly. Okay. <laughs> I need to put more thought into that one. We'll, we'll, we'll say you went with Giannis, just so we don't right, give thanks. the Lakers too much credit. How about you, Keith? Who would you like for this one? So I'm going to break the lottery pick rule, and I'm going to take Jabari Parker. Oh, that's a good one. I think Parker's really stepped up yeah. big time. There's no comeback player of the year anymore. Right. Because they're just turned into guys getting it after drug suspensions, which nobody wants. <laughs> so I think it's uh I think it's good that Parker, you know, he started around into this form at the end of last year, but he has been terrific all season long. He's now blossomed into that offensive force that we all wanted. So he, he he's my guy. That's the guy I'm gonna go with. All right, well, I'm going to pick the, or I'm going to break the all Bucks picks. And I, you know, Randall, I want to shout out just because he's really surpassed all of my expectations. Uh, you know, I really thought he was very limited, uh, basically as a scorer rebounder, basically like a slightly better Kenneth Fareed. And, you know, there is a comparison, uh, the Orange County Register prior to the year, they, Draymond talked to them and they were saying like, oh yeah, Dray was like, yeah, he could be better than me. It's like, what? What in the world? Uh, but yeah, he's showing, Randall's showing that well-rounded game that I did not expect to see from him. That said, I'm going to go Nick Stauskas do the homer pick because frankly, Nick Stauskas didn't look like an NBA player for two years and now he looks like an NBA player. He's not necessarily above average, but he's, you know, he, he's providing some semblance of consistent offense to a team badly in need of it. So for <laughs> surviving Sacramento and surviving a the, the most hinky of the hinky years in, in Philly and coming out on the other side and still having some semblance of a productive career, I'm going to sh- shout out Stauskas. Uh, and that will take us to the MVP, which I think, you know, this is... Wide open still, as we've been saying for weeks. There is no unanimous Steph Curry this year. So, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Who do you have for MVP so far? (laughs) Well, it's kind of hard at this point in the season to go against Russell. Mm -hmm. Um, I still, he probably wouldn't be my pick for the full season. I mean, we talked about this last time Mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, You know, 
if he averages a triple-double, do you have to give it to him? Does it depend where they end up uh, in the seeding? So we won't get into that again. But, um, man, I, I, my official pick was LeBron coming in, even though <laughs> I got you know kind of wanted to go Kawhi, but I didn't want to jinx him. So you have to remember that next time. <laughs> I picked LeBron. Um, it's such a hard call. I, I still would go with LeBron. I still would go with Kawhi. Maybe I'll just say James Harden. Hey, there like you go. At the beginning of the year. My, there you my go. preseason I, pick. I, they've definitely been better than I expected them to be. Yeah. So Honestly, me, I'll go with James. me too. I did not expect them to be. I expected James to play this well. I did not expect the Rockets to follow suit. So I'm you had to surprised. make him happy, Sarah. You had yeah. to make him happy. <laughs> <laughs> Mort, how about you? Okay. Kevin Durant. Ooh, okay. And you know what? It's it's mostly because I'm tired of this idea that you can't give the MVP to a, to a guy on a loaded team. Mm-hmm. LeBron wanted in Miami, so what's sure. what's the excuse for not giving it to Durant? He's been terrific, and I also want to give him some credit for actually fitting in like seamlessly. Twenty six, eight and a half boards, four and a half assists, one and a half steals, one point seven blocks. He, I think his true shooting percentage is like. 66 i want to say and his per is 29 come on that those are mvp numbers and he's actually playing terrific defense as well so why not yeah that's fair that's i i don't think you'll find many people arguing with and i think we talked about it last week he was i haven't checked this week but he was at the leader on the basketball reference mvp uh tracker so that's a valid pick how about you keith who would you pick for MVP so far. I'm gonna go with Russ. I don't want all the Twitter mentions from the Thunder fans and <laughs> <Smart> <laughs> basketball man. community at large. But no, I mean he's been ridiculous. I had quite I had thrown it out there, can on Twitter, can he win the MVP if his teams are on five hundred? And it was fifty fifty, right down the middle, people were split. And now they've started to win games, so I'm more comfortable going that direction with the numbers he's put up. He's he's just been you know, amazing to watch night in and night out. The numbers are all there. The team's winning. So I go with Russ. Yeah, I, I would also take Russ for now. I'm still skeptical that he averages a triple-double the rest of the season. That said, yeah. when you're putting yourself on statistical, you know, in the same conversation as MJ in any point, that's just incredible. And, uh, I mean, it's not like the big thing with Russ for me and Matt Moore of CBS Sports had a really good column about him the other day. Uh, these aren't empty numbers. It's you know he's somewhat stat chasing. Like if he's like one or two away, he's gonna stay in an extra minute to get that tenth rebound. But like the Thunder really need him to average a triple double to stay afloat, and he's doing it. So can he do it for another sixty games? We'll find out. But he's playing out of his freaking mind. He's you know there are already lofty expectations of him coming into the year. He's I would say he's surpassing them. So. Can I throw something uh, out there just regard, yeah. in, in regards to Russ? So I, I looked at his stats, and I, I kind of went, okay, he's playing less than 36 minutes a game. Those minutes could theoretically increase if they are fighting for a higher seed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for us to actually end up this season? Now, stick with me, with a 2,000, 1,000, 1,000 year. And Seems if so, possible. Like yeah. even regardless of, in- of of record, would that be an automatic MVP if he finishes with 
2,000, 1,000, 1,000. Would that be the only time it happened? Or maybe I'm guessing Oscar Robertson I, probably I'm did pretty, it. I don't know what in regards to Oscar, but I'm pretty sure it would be. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Oscar averaged. Yeah, did he? Oh. Or not average. Sorry, totaled a thousand a piece off rebounds and assists. And uh, he, and if he did, it was in way more minutes and more possessions and whatever. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good question. I. I mean, as long as the Thunder like, as long as they stay in that forty-five to fifty win range, I think. It'd be pretty hard to deny him if he did something that's never before been done in NBA history. And I just checked; Oscar never did it. He never had a thousand of neither rebounds nor assists in a single season. There you go. So what he would need to average, like, yeah, close 12, to twelve points, two assists, and twelve point two rebounds. Oh my god! It's crazy that we can even talk about this being possible. That's <laughs> yeah. that's the best yeah. part of this entire NBA season. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we, we did all those. Um, do you guys want to do brief, really quick mentions of biggest surprises and disappointments? Sure. All right, cool. So, Sarah, biggest surprise, player or team for you? I'm so, I still really like Charlotte. <laughs> I did not think – I mean, they're third in the East right now. I did not see that happening. So, Charlotte. I like that. How about you, Keith? For me, it's Houston. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they'd be this good. I thought their defense would be so bad that no matter how good the offense was, that they would struggle to even make the playoffs. Nice. Good one. Uh, Mort, how about you? Jimmy Butler. <laughs> there it is. Overall. No, I mean, I knew, you know, I've always known he was a good good guy, a good player, or always known, known since he really broke out, but he's averaging close to 26 a game and is, is just doing it efficiently and, and has uh, – a huge PER, and I mean, I I never thought he would enter that air level, yeah, at all. Yeah. So, I mean, that that just came out of nowhere, and with no spacing really attached <laughs> right. to him, I mean, that's that's insane. So so yeah, he's he's my my biggest surprise. Clearly, his cameo in Office Christmas Party is what has fueled his success. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I I would say Milwaukee's my biggest surprise for a team because I thought they were just totally cooked without Chris Middleton and Giannis and Jabari have been keeping them afloat. And then we mentioned Randall already. He's definitely uh, my biggest surprise as a player. All right, uh, biggest disappointment. Uh, how about you, Keith? Who do you have? Portland. Ooh, nice. They have been not good. The defense is a mess. The offense is is good, but in a weird way. They're so dependent on Willard and McCollum. I just, you know, maybe they're a year later regressing back to the mean after being much better than most of us thought last year, but they've really disappointed me so far this season. Yeah, I, I like that pick a lot. I, I, was, I think I was the one of us who was low on them heading into the year. Uh, so I'm, I'm pleased to see that pick coming true but then again i also had dallas in the playoffs so that worked out well for me uh how about you more who's your biggest disappointment come on i spoke up minnesota for like two months <laughs> yeah you I, did yeah i did look they, I, I mean they're they're improving and they're young it's understandable i just thought tips would somehow drag them to the playoffs by his teeth i suppose <laughs> it's still mathematically <laughs> possible but I don't know how plausible it is. Um, it seems they have a very steep learning curve, 
and I overestimated that, or underestimated that. Yeah, yeah, I think they're they're definitely one of the biggest ones team wise. Uh, how about you, Sarah? Who's your biggest disappointment? Yeah, Minnesota's up there, but that that probably was partly our fault, more like you said. Well, I had them in too. Um, Washington too, but I I want It's probably not fair because they're probably right about where they should be at the moment. Uh, but the Denver Nuggets, uh, just like I think they had what back to back losses to the Wizards and uh, the Nets, I, th- I believe. Uh, they came out really flat at home against Houston in that game after Houston and Golden State bludgeoned each other in a double overtime. So just some of their performances, you know, I know they're missing that, that big-time scorer, but I feel like they could be doing a little bit better than what they are doing. Yeah, that's a, I definitely think. Yeah, we talked about them in depth, uh, I think, last week, so you can check out our thoughts on Denver. But it seems like that roster logjam was really having some bad effects. Although mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic has been playing better of late, so that's a positive at least. Uh, I mean, I think in terms of teams, you guys both mentioned Washington and Minnesota. They are my two as well. Emmanuel Moutier is mine as a player. He is really struggling. He's losing minutes to Jameer Nelson now. Mike Malone already came out and said, we can't have our starting point guard averaging five turnovers, turnovers a game. It is killing us. Uh, you know, I, I was really high on Moody out coming out of last year. If the Sixers had fallen uh, a couple more picks, I thought he was the guy. So uh, I'm a little disheartened to see how much he's struggling, but hopefully he turns it around in the coming weeks. So we got two other amazing stories to talk about before we get into our crushes for the week. The first one we will touch on briefly. So Cleveland and New York play, I believe, Wednesday night. Cleveland annihilates them, surprising no one because of the whole LeBron James, Phil Jackson beef. Of course, LeBron James has a huge game. So toward the end of the game, uh, LeBron and Kyrie and a couple other guys are on the bench and they're doing this water bottle bottle challenge where they're trying to flip a water bottle and have it land uh, standing up. So, you know, obviously a somewhat sophomoric act, but when you're up 30 points, who really cares? I'll tell you who cares, the New York media. And I want to read you this one tweet from Alan Han. I believe he's of Newsday. He said, LeBron can never, no longer talk about his reverence for Madison Square Garden ever again. That sophomoric act on the bench now makes all of those quotes empty. So, (laughs) uh, uh, should they be getting as worked up about this as they are? No. Uh, obviously not. It's just a, a stupid, silly game, and they were bored. What they should get worked up about is the fact that the water bottle, bottle challenge is even a thing, because that is utterly <laughs> ridiculous, and somehow has taken hold of the entire world. And I'm I'm old and stubborn and annoyed and frustrated about the youth of today that I don't understand, but outside of that, nope. I don't see why anyone should be butthurt about that. It's just... Look, I mean, I think the Bulls of old, like the Jordan era, you had Rodman sitting there reading newspapers. When they were all big. <laughs> so, I mean, this this has been going on for years, decades. Yeah. Um, it's just in today's social media society, we have to talk about everything, right? Yeah, yeah. I do not want to spend much time on this, but it was a story this week. That said, I think we can all agree it's stupid. 
they shouldn't be that upset about it. If you want to not have them flip water balls on your court, don't lose by 30 points. Play better. Uh, the other, we're not going to leave the Knicks for the other story of the week. So Phil Jackson went on CBS Sports Network Tuesday night and naturally got himself into a little bit of hot water. Uh, it, you know, he complimented Carmelo Anthony, and he was asked if he can work within the constraints of the triangle. Phil said, yeah, he can actually fill the same role that Kobe and Michael Jordan did. But then then he added, Carmelo a lot of times wants to hold the ball longer than we have a rule. If you hold a pass two seconds, you benefit the defense. So he has a little bit of a tendency to hold it for three, four, five seconds, and then everybody comes to a stop. Carmelo was understandably very annoyed uh, that Phil went public with that criticism. He would not talk to reporters about it after the game. Um, he has since met with Phil Jackson, and apparently Kobe is giving him advice on how to deal with Phil. Uh, Keith, do you think, you know, we, we saw the Phil comments. I don't know if it was that that led to LeBron murdering the Knicks or if it's just LeBron always murders the Knicks in New- Madison Square Garden. But do you think... Uh, are these comments going to come back to haunt Phil, especially when it comes to free agent signings? Like, should he just stop talking for the good of the Knicks? I think it could. I think some guys will take that a little. They don't like when somebody who's almost two steps removed from the team talks a lot. So I think, think that can be a little bit of a problem. I think a lot of people, though, are looking at it as, he is so – for Phil Jackson, we all know, the triangle is not an offensive system. It's a way of life for him. It's a, it's bigger than just a basketball thing. He talks about it you know, that way all the time. It's a philosophy of life for him. So it becomes – I think people are like, all right, yeah, that's great. Just go away with that anyway and let your players do what they do on the court. And I think your other challenge that they – that they have with that is I think there's a lot of people who still believe Phil Jackson's not going to be there next year. Mm-hmm. So why are you, you know, still hammering on the guy who's probably still the franchise's best player? I know Porzingis is coming up fast, but you know, he never really ever seems to have anything positive to say <laughs> about Carmelo. Right. And it's like, it's almost like it's a motivational tool or something at this point. So it'll be interesting to see. I know, we had a chance to ask some of the players around the league about different things as that Phil said over the last couple of years as they've come through here in Orlando. Most guys kind of like, yeah, whatever. I don't really care what that guy has to say. So, so I don't, I don't know how much it'll matter. And there's still the Knicks. It's still New York. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. There you go. That's good news. Knicks fans, the ramblings <laughs> of a opium addled old man will not affect your free agent chances at all. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's go into our crushes of the week. So we are going to shine a spotlight on some of the less heralded non-MVP candidates. Sarah, I want to start with you. Who was your crush of the week? I picked Montrez Harrell. Ooh, that's a fun one. If you guys, yeah, you guys remember maybe that I wanted to pick him, almost picked him at some point last year towards the end of the year, but the timing was really not right. Um so I was happy to be able to pick him this time. Um, they've played six games in December. He's been averaging 9.2 points. Um, not a ton of rebounds, like three rebounds, but he's also not actually playing that much. Um, he played 25 minutes against Golden State and had 13 and 10, and he's really could be a good matchup uh, for them. 
otherwise, in the other five games, he's only playing 16 minutes a game. But he's a good energy guy. I know they compared him a little bit to Kenneth Fareed. He's a little like like that. Um, I just I've liked him since college. I like players like that, and it's good to see him finally uh, breaking through a little bit in the league. That was a good pick. I like it. Uh, Mort, how about you? Who's your crush of the week? Well, it's not a player. It's a Chicago Bull fan. Oh. So last night, uh, a Bulls fan from the Philippines, I believe, went down to the court to win some airline tickets. And he had to hit a three. The first one he missed. The second one he hit and he scored free, free airline tickets. And that's great. So he was one of two. The Bulls as a team throughout the game, one of eight. <laughs> so I just want to give this Philippine, oh. yeah, this yeah, this Philippine man some credit because he shot better than the Bulls did last night. When they write the story of the 2016-17 book Bulls, I hope that is the anecdote they lead with. <laughs> I would definitely prefer that. Yeah. So. Oh man, that that is a good one. All right, <laughs> Keith, who who's your crush of the week? Since I'm not on with you guys all the time, I'm gonna give you two, but they're both from the same team. That's good. So Zach Zach Randolph and Jamichael Green nice. from the Grizzlies. Yeah. Zach, for the reasons of first of all, great to see him back on the court after all of his personal issues after the loss of his mother. It's such a tough thing. So good to see him back. But his interactions with the fans. There's been a couple good moments caught on social media recently. And they're just, you know, I'm a dad, and it just makes me feel so good to see him so accepting of the kids. And this is not the guy who came into the NBA, you know, a decade or so ago. I mean, it was he's just completely transformed the type of person he is. So him solely for off the court, then Jamichael Green for on the court. That guy has been a monster for the Grizzlies. Yeah. If you're not watching now, watch. This guy is athletic. He can get up. He can block shots. Gives them someone who can go up and catch an alley-oop lob out of the front court, which they haven't had in a little bit. He's just a lot of fun to watch, a lot of energy, just, you know, really playing well for Memphis. Yeah, that's what I love, the Jermichael pick. Uh, you know, I think he's a big reason that they stayed afloat while Conley's been hurt. Uh, and, you know, Zebo, there was always this talk of going into the year, they got to bench Zebo. is this Jermichael Green kid ready? I, you know, I think... He's proving that he was, that that was a really good move. So it goes back to your love of David Fisdale from earlier. Uh, I'm going to pick Wilson Chandler, who, you know, you mentioned earlier that they don't have a comeback player of the year. If they did, this guy's a shoo-in because he missed the entire 2015-16 season with a hip injury. Right now he's averaging 18 points and almost eight rebounds a game. You know, Sarah mentioned Denver as somewhat of a disappointment. Which, in, uh, you know, I also mentioned uh, Emmanuel Moutier as a big reason why. But, I mean, good lord, Wilson Chandler is playing out of his mind. I, I'm double-checking here. I believe he is their highest, their leading scorer. Yeah, he is their leading scorer ahead of Danilo Gallinari and Will Barton. Uh, and the dude's only 29 years old. Like, he's still got, you know, assuming his hip cooperates, he's still got a couple good years left. So it's good to see him back in action playing well you know he's averaging a career high in points so we can hope he keeps that up and frankly it gives them one more piece to dangle on the trade market for teams in need of an instant score so that is going to do it for our latest episode of the nba podcast we hope you enjoyed it again be sure to follow us on twitter at 
sorry, <laughs> at the NBA pod. Uh, and again, you can find all of our Twitter handles in there. Also, be sure to check us out on iTunes, subscribe, download, leave some reviews, and check uh, at FanRag Sports and at FanRag NBA. Again, special thanks to Keith Smith for coming on. Keith, just remind our listeners one more time where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA, no spaces, KeithSmithNBA. Easy one to find there. Written work, RealGM.com, FanRagSports.com, CelticsBlog.com for Celtics-specific coverage, and coming soon, 16WinsARing.com. Yes, so keep an eye out for all of that good stuff, and he's got that column on the Phoenix Suns coming out soon on Real GM, so be sure to keep an eye out for that as well. Otherwise, Morton and Sarah, it's always good to talk to you two as well. Likewise, Brian. Me too. All right, take care, everyone. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.